And I think she copes well with the change because something that interested her caught her attention and gave her a focus and a drive. Whereas if the murders weren't happening, I think she would have really struggled. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yay, murder! <laughs> Woohoo! Welcome to Psychocinematic, a podcast where we analyze depictions of mental illness and disability in popular films and TV. I'm your host, Stephanie Fornasia. If you love our podcast and want to give us some support, make sure you're following Psychocinematic Podcast on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And check out our website, psychocinematicpodcast.com. For access to special bonus content, episodes, early access, stickers, and contribute to our regular fundraisers, join our Patreon. Starting from $3.50 a month, you can be the coolest Psychocinematic listener there is. I'd like to start today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land that I'm recording this podcast on today, which is the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and acknowledge and pay respects to elders past, present and future, and acknowledge that I'm recording this podcast on stolen land. And I'd like to introduce my wonderful guest today, uh, Jeremy Andrew Davis, Jeremy, would you like to introduce yourself for our listeners or would you prefer me to? You go ahead. I get embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) So Jeremy is a social media influencer, an advocate, a filmmaker and a disability representation and media consultant. Jeremy was selected as one of LinkedIn's top voices to follow for disability advocacy. And you can find his humorous yet educational content on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn under Jeremy Andrew Davis. And that is how I came across you and your awesome TikToks. How long have you been doing this for? Um, Social media, I started in 2009 and I've been doing social media video since then. But it wasn't until beginning spring of last year that I started making my own social media videos and doing that in the disability space. Before I'd be in personal training stuff, helping another creator do personal training videos. I've done flight and remote control airplane content. So all over the place. (laughs) But now I'm doing it uh, to share my own stories. That's fantastic. And you do it in such a creative way. Um, When you have those conversations with yourself, it's like there are two of you. (laughs) I forget that it's the same person. I I talk to myself all the time anyway, so might as well. (laughs) I love playing different characters and exploring some caricatures of people and just having fun. So thank you. It's super informative as well. You're a filmmaker as well. Yes. What sort of films have you created? Uh, So far, it's been short films in terms of producing them, directing them. Um, But I've written uh, a lot more. So I've written TV pilots. And then so in the entertainment industry, you write the first episode and then you create a pitch deck, mm-hmm. basically, that outlines the trajectory of the, the rest of the show. So I've written several of those and then uh, several feature length screenplays. So when you say feature, that just means movie. Awesome. And you provide consultation on film sets around disability representation. Is that right? Yes. Uh, any entertainment media. So I consult with social media, with disability representation, film film, novels, all of it. Excellent. Is there anything that's been created recently that you've provided some consultation on? Yes, actually. I'll grab it right here. So uh, one of my friends is an Amazon best-selling author. 
Uh, He's now published, I think, 26 books. I lose count because he's publishing them uh, very quickly. And so I got to consult on Imperium Descent. And it's a sci-fi novel series. Uh, I believe it's a trilogy. And I think the, the third book in the trilogy just released on audiobook as well. Oh, wow. So it's really cool. And yeah, got to do a consultation. He had been following my my content for a while and going, oh, I, sh- I should have some disability representation in my novels. How, how do I do that? So we walked th- through different approaches and he wanted to take like kind of a world that's very ableist, like extreme ableist and explore how that affects society uh, mm-hmm. and then have characters uh, go through that and fight the ableism. So it's a, it's a fun action suspense sci-fi novel series. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It sounds super interesting. Um, what's the author's name? Christopher Hopper. Christopher Hopper. Okay. Awesome. I'll make sure I link it in the episode notes so people can read his book. Well, today, speaking of disability representation, I saw one of your TikToks about Wednesday and basically just told you, you have to come onto my podcast and talk about it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Oh, I really appreciate that you're coming on to talk about it. What what made you sort of decide to make some content about Wednesday specifically? Yeah. So I am oftentimes late to the party with watching shows. Oh, me too. (laughs) And I had heard a lot Uh, of social media videos who were mentioning Wednesday as potentially being a coded autistic character. And probably people who watch your podcast or listen uh, know what coded is. But for anybody who's new to that term, coded means that the character is code for. So it's not explicitly stated. Mm -hmm. So if someone is coded autistic, they're having potentially autistic behaviors, but it's never explicitly said in the show that they are autistic. So yeah, this is a good opportunity for me to kind of disclaimer what I plan on talking about here. Wednesday's character obviously has neurovariances, but none of those are explicitly explained as to what they are in the show. She's just quote unquote weird or different. So a lot of what I'm going to be talking about in terms of potential autism traits or like conjecture or applying lenses through which to interpret the show. But um, it's not, I'm not saying like, this is the only way to watch Mm -hmm. or interpret the show. There's many other ones. So there may be other diagnosis that Wednesday could qualify under. Mm -hmm. um, And like, it's a fictional character. I'm, I'm not a, uh, (laughs) I'm not a medical provider. I can't diagnose her. So yeah. Yeah. And I, I had come across a little bit of, of that conversation as well, um, having mm-hmm. not seen the show. And then when I watched it, it was like, yes, I can totally see where that's coming from. So yeah. um, it's really good to be able to talk with you as someone who's been on both sides as well, being represented and has created um, content. Really interested to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about Wednesday because it's a it's just such a well done show. having like even when we do have coded characters it gives us a lot of cool things to talk about and helps with awareness and acceptance yes of 
neurovariances in general, but in this case specifically as we talk about it in terms of the lens of autism. Do you prefer movies to be more explicit on their representation or do you find that being coded is enough? Oh, there's a lot of nuance there. Yeah, that's a big question. Sorry. (laughs) We have had a lot of coded characters throughout the years, and I love those characters and I love talking about the interpretations of them. And then we've had a lot of canonized characters, which is when they're explicitly canonized as having whatever the identity is. It can be beyond disability, but in this case, autism. And most of those representations are not done well. Yeah. And so at this stage in the awareness and rights movement, I want to see more canonized characters that are done well. Mm -hmm. And I think in terms of society, we need that so that, like I mentioned in my video uh, on Wednesday, that I'd love for the second season for them to canonize her as autistic. Mm -hmm. That would be amazing. Especially like you have a whole first season, the general public isn't clocking that she could be autistic. So they're like, they're just connecting with the character. And then you drop a bomb. And the second one is like, oh, by the way, this character that you love and really connect with, they're autistic. So Mm -hmm. when you meet autistic people, connect with them and don't judge Mm -hmm. them in terms of xyz and then i had also talked about like it would be really great if they had if they canonized more than one character as autistic so you could see the variations of different autistic people yeah totally agree with that and then it's not everyone with autism is like wednesday right it's this is one character that has autism and here are some other ways that that can be demonstrated through other characterizations. And then other neurovariances as well, like her roommate. Enid. Enid, Enid, right. I'm always blanking on names. So uh, her roommate very much seems coded as ADHD. So if she gets canonized ADHD, it just expands the conversation more. And there can be really, you can weave these elements into the story so it doesn't feel like the audience is being hit over the head with it yes it's just like oh yeah by the way and we move on yes and then it gives them something to ponder and and yeah so with her already seeing a therapist it would make sense that in a future therapy session she could get diagnosed with something yeah and that could be a really cool scene how she reacts to the diagnosis I might just talk a little bit about the overall plot and I won't go into too much depth because when it's a series, we could be here forever. I guess in terms of the Adams family itself, I'd like to talk about that just briefly because Adams family has been like such an iconic concept throughout the years. Like I think it started the cartoonist Charles Adams who created them. And then of course there was the TV series and the movies, which I grew up with and adored, particularly Adam's family values. Like I was obsessed with that movie and they really resonated with a lot of people as being sort of that family that was just so odd, didn't fit in, but living in this, um, you know, real world society with everybody else and just being themselves. Yes. And loving themselves and each other. It's like, oh, wow, this is a really healthy family, more yeah. healthy than normal people. Exactly. How did you, like, did you grow up with Adam's family? Did you connect with them? I grew up a 
bit with the original TV show on Nick at Night, <laughs> watching the reruns, along with like Get Smart and, and several of the other shows on there. So I hadn't seen the movies. So it, it had been a while since I had kind of been into the Adams Family when Wednesday came out. And I'm like, oh, this is so good. Mm-hmm. And when I heard about the conversations about Wednesday being autistic, I also heard that this theory has been around for a while with the movies and the TV show going back years and, and people talking about uh, the neurovariances of this family. So I, I found that to be really interesting and also grateful for platforms like TikTok where we can share this information more and, and the conversation just is so much more deep and rich. Mm-hmm. And it sort of evolves with each sort of iteration of, of TikTok content. Mm-hmm. They were such a beloved family that were just subversive in every single way. So like living in opposite land where things that are dark make them happy and things like that. But they're they're such a happy, close-knit family. Yeah, like you say, they're quite healthy um, and it's sort of the society around them that struggles to, to, I guess, accept their ways of being, but they don't try to adjust for society. It's sort of society that makes way for them, which is a really good symbol for being inclusive of people with differences generally. So in terms of Wednesday, I'll just do a very brief premise of the show, which I pretty much just took off Wikipedia. But essentially, Wednesday Adams, played by Jenna Ortega, is expelled from her school after dumping live piranhas in the school's pool in retaliation for the boys' water polo team bullying her brother Pugsley. Consequently, her parents Gomez and Morticia Adams, uh, played by Louis Guzman and Catherine Zeta-Jones, plays Morticia, they enroll her at their high school alma mater, Nevermore Academy, a private school for monstrous outcasts in the town of Jericho, Vermont. Wednesday's cold, emotionless personality and her defiant nature make it difficult for her to connect with her schoolmates and cause her to run afoul of the school's principal, Larissa Weems, played by Gwendolyn Christie, who I'm a bit obsessed with. However, she discovers she's inherited her mother's psychic abilities, which allow her to solve a local murder mystery. Some really good actors in there. And it was also directed by Tim Burton. And when I read that, I was like, "Ah, of course, like that makes so much sense. It's interesting that this is his first kind of dabbling into the Adams family universe, given that it's such a Tim Burton-ish thing. So um, on that note, uh, is there anything I missed there that I should probably mention about the show? Uh, I think that covered it. <laughs> and as brief. Wikipedia is pretty thorough. <laughs> <laughs> thorough but brief. I love it. In terms of lived experience, again, like we were saying, we're sort of looking at from the lens of Wednesday being coded, autistic, and there's some neurodivergence there within the show. But it's always interesting to see the lived experience of the people who have created the show and if they did look at more of a research-based lens on how we actually portray these characters. But I was interested to find out a bit about Tim Burton in that he identifies as someone, he uses the term Asperger's, which we um, don't really use, well, some people still use it, and also his wife Helena Bonham Carter um, sort of saw 
lots of traits within Tim Burton. So I don't think he's been formally diagnosed, but he's pretty much determined that he has autism. And I don't think that's a huge surprise given he's quite a unique uh, director Mm -hmm. and creator. Have you been a Tim Burton fan or? I have always enjoyed like his style. I personally, so Wednesday is right on the edge for me getting to a little too intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the scary or gory, the that kind of thing doesn't do too well with me. Wednesday was like, okay, I, I, I'm good with this. If it goes any further, I'm, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, some of, some of Tim Burton's films push that boundary for me, but like mm-hmm. Corpse Bride and yeah. So, so his work has always been just really cool, but on my, on my edge. <laughs> yeah. And one of my favorite movies growing up was um, Edward Scissorhands, which I feel like yeah. is also yeah. a bit of a uh, symbol for sort of the unique outcast trying to fit into society. It seems to be his theme is that sort of, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, and also Nightmare Before Christmas is my toddler's absolute favorite movie at the moment. Yeah. So we watch that constantly. But yeah, so that's interesting. I don't think, I didn't really get much more into like whether he set out to make a neurodivergent sort of character um, or just make this kind of film. Yeah, it sounds like he's he embraces that side of himself anyway. Yeah, and it should be noted that Tim did not write it. There's two no. writers of the show and they pitched it to Tim and he came on board. And I think they did the right thing by pitching it to him. <laughs> Uh, Jenna Ortega is, I love her. She's amazing. I think she's like one of the best young actresses out there. Incredible. She is of Mexican and Puerto Rican descent. Um, She has used her platforms to promote support for immigrants and politics involving them. She's a supporter of Pride Over Prejudice, which uh, is a campaign that promotes acceptance towards the LGBT QI plus community. And since 13, she's advocated for that organization. She talks a lot about embracing your culture and anti-discrimination. She seems very wise beyond her years um, and really promote using her platform to promote some really important things, which I think is also probably a, a bit of an allegory in uh, Wednesday in that uh, the family are um, of Hispanic descent, uh, which mm-hmm. I think is more prominent in this iteration whereas like in the film it was only Gomez that actually was played by a a Hispanic character like there's more of a storyline that they they migrated to America so I guess there's also that element of being immigrants fitting into a society also coded Mm -hmm. for being queer as well so Mm -hmm. given that Jenna's really passionate about these um, issues I think she's she's been a perfect character in that regard i find it interesting too in a interview she did she talked about how she changed most of her lines Mm, um, yes to make it fit what she thought the character uh should do and say and i'm just i'm it made me go i am so curious what it had been and how she changed it and how that might have influenced uh the show and and perhaps some of the coded autism traits yeah yeah i'd love to interview her (laughs) oh my goodness that'd be amazing dig into that a bit (laughs) yeah and i think that's really given that you know she's a little bit closer to being a teenage girl 
um, who's had these experiences. I think it's important that she was given a voice in that way because sometimes, like, if you see some really terrible depictions of disability, uh, I'm just thinking of music by Sia where the main character, yeah. Maddie Ziegler, was like, I don't know if I should be saying this. Like, it would have been, would have been nice if her voice was actually heard in that film a little bit more. So it's great that Jenna was given that opportunity to, to mould the dialogue. Yeah. She, I just had a look at any sort of relation to mental illness that she's experienced and she does, she has actually said that she gets kind of post-work depression. And so when she's not working, she feels uh, a little bit down and she like needs to be doing stuff um, to feel mm-hmm. happy, uh, which I, I wonder if we, a lot of people can relate to that who are also autistic. Or ADHD. Well, and so I think there's there's multiple layers here. It's a very common thing talked about in the film industry from people who who work in the film industry, because when you're working on a set, there's so much emotions, there's pressure, there's adrenaline, there's just you're working 12 hours a day, you're creating stuff with a bunch of people at this frenetic pace. And then when you stop, all of those hormones go away and mm. you just don't feel right. And then mm. and you go from being surrounded by people to being alone. And mm. there's just such a dichotomy there. Uh, post-work depression is, is very, very common. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's, also common among people with various neurovariances that, you know, a lot of times people with ADHD, like myself, always feeling the need to be doing or creating that kind of thing. So Mm. film is a great place to be, (laughs) but also a horrible place to be. Yeah, because it it is that industry that that comes in waves. Like I have a few friends who work in it and they'll have work for like a whole year and then nothing for months. And so that, that dopamine hit and then that depletion must be hard a hard yeah. wave to ride um but it's great that she's talking about it because you don't really hear many mm-hmm. people in that in the industry talk about it it actually impacts your mental health Gwendolyn Christie I, I just looked a little bit up uh, around any experiences she's had of being a bit different and she did mention because she doesn't look the same as most actors um she was told that she would probably never work um due to her unconventionally tall physique and when she said she'd like to work on screen, her agent told her, well, good luck with that. But they were wrong because she is amazing and one of the best yes. actors out there at the moment. And I love how, how they they didn't try to offset her height. Mm, like, mm. And she's wearing shoes that make her even taller in some scenes. You know, uh, a lot of times in film, they'll use what's called apple boxes, which mm-hmm. wooden box to have people stand on to make them seem the same height. Cause we're usually not seeing feet, yeah. but they didn't shy away from, Oh, this is a tall woman that just plays into the themes of the show. So it's a yeah. great visual motif and great for her as an actress as well. So yeah, I, I love it. Yeah. She's incredible. And it's good to see like, she's kind of used in game of Thrones as you know, that, like Brienne of Tars being, I'm not sure if I said that right, but being a character who is a little bit unique and she made quite an impact and now she's being used in lots of um, more popular ways as just being, I guess, a bit more less characteristic but also like 
in a way that sort of fits in Wednesday. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm glad she's getting lots of work because I love her. I looked up Emma Myers, who there wasn't a lot about her. I guess she's quite new to the acting world, but she was homeschooled and never had a traditional school experience. And she does describe herself as introverted. So I I assume she would relate a bit to Wednesday's character and her own character a little bit in many ways as someone who's trying to fit in. It's interesting that personality wise, she's an introvert and then she's playing this really extroverted, bubbly character. Yeah, that's great. Uh, It shows that she's a very good actress. And I wonder if that was a nice character to put on for herself. Mm -hmm. Catherine Zeta-Jones is obviously very well known. Um, She was diagnosed with tongue cancer um, and that impacted her quite a bit. Um, It led to her experiencing depression and she also has spoken about having bipolar 2 disorder, which she's had treatment for a couple of times in the last 10 years, Um, which is interesting. I didn't realise that she had spoken about that. So, yeah, just a little bit of life experience there. Didn't find much about Louis Guzman, but I think it is interesting that he's always a character actor, like he's always plays that very specific character in quite prominent films. He's not often the main character and, you know, he's a very, when you see Louis Guzman, you know it's Louis Guzman. Um, I always always really like him in films. So I think he probably relates to being that person who sort of stands out a little bit. And lastly, Christina Ricci, because I just wanted to mention her because I love that she is from the original um, movies and then she plays, uh, I won't spoil it, but a very prominent character in this series. And she obviously was the original Wednesday in the film. So, yeah, I just love that she was in there. But in terms of her life experience, she's, you know, she was a child actress and it sounds like child actors go through a lot regardless of how much they try and prevent it but she has experienced anorexia as a teen um she still has you know some struggles with managing that and she has had a struggle with anxiety which she's been quite open about um and interestingly her dad was a psychotherapist who practiced primal scream therapy in the home office next door to where she and her siblings were sleeping so that would have been pretty terrifying (laughs) to grow up with yeah, is there anything else that you came across in terms of lived experience or the creation? Yeah, I wanted to add one thing. Uh, it actually comes from a few different commenters on my original uh, video. And so I wanted to throw out an alternative possible diagnosis. Mm. Yeah, so there were a few people who have this. It's schizoid personality disorder. I hope I'm, I'm pronouncing that right. I, I believe so. Um, Several people mentioned that she has a lot of the traits of schizoid personality disorder. And I looked it up and it's, it's really fascinating stuff and it does seem to fit too. Mm. So it could be that she's that, or she also could have dual diagnosis of schizoid and autistic. One of my commenters said they are diagnosed as both Mm -hmm. and she could fit into both because she has like some of the sensory issues and things like that. So yeah, I, I love uh, all the different possibilities for this show and also hearing just the the backgrounds of the the people involved. It's such rich fertile for telling mm. a story. Hint, hint, guys, if, if those of you involved with the show are listening, uh, <laughs> that you might canonize some of your characters and bring some of that just to the surface. Yeah. That would be really cool. 
And particularly something like schizoid personality disorder, which not many people are aware of, and any personality disorder comes with even probably even more stigma than any other mental health condition. So even mm-hmm. if they canonized her with that, that would be amazing because yes. then people would feel like who never feel seen could feel really seen. Absolutely. Listen to Psychocinematic Wednesday creators. Like, <laughs> why aren't you already? Let's talk a little bit more about you know, what in this show makes us think that she could be coded autistic or something else? Um, I guess in terms of what you see on the show, what about Wednesday speaks to you the most about why she could be autistic? Oh, there, there's, there's a lot. <laughs> um, a few people actually missed some of her sensory issues. Mm. Uh, and if you're not paying attention or if you don't experience them yourself, you can miss them, especially because they're, some of them are played off as a little joke, too, which a lot of us autistic people spin our issues as a joke to make it less to, to make the responses that we get less ableist. Yeah. Um, so in one scene, I believe it was the first episode she says, or it may have been Morticia who says she's allergic to color. Mm-hmm. And then somebody yes. asks, what happens? And she's like, I break out in hives or something like that. So it's like a joke, but it's it's serious too. Like she yeah. doesn't wear any color. And a lot of people don't realize that autistic people can be sensitive to bright or loud colors. It can be visually painful to mm-hmm. see. So that makes sense that she dresses in black and white if that bothers her. So uh, another great one is her stems. Some people missed, again, some of her stems. And one of the, the best example of her stemming is her dance. Mm-hmm. Like that, yes. that famous dance. And I love the interviews of her talking about creating this dance and, and how it just like came from within her. And I'm like, hmm, mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> and how how it resonated with me and so many other people of like I dance like that at home when I'm stem dancing yes like I'm doing all this full body you know and, and mixing motifs from different songs and known dance routines and uh yeah so so that was another really really great mm. one and I I just want to jump in I love that she just she's not concerned about how other people are dancing or how they will observe yes. her dancing. She just, just throws herself into it. And I think that's like an, a nice and for, resonating yeah. uh, scene for everyone. Yeah. And, and for some autistics, some autistics aren't, they don't care what other people think. Mm-hmm. Now others like myself are hypersensitive to what mm-hmm. other people think. So it's one of those uh, different points on the spectrum and how we present differently, but her character is one that doesn't care what other people think. She's just going to do it her own way. That can also be uh, fall into the schizoid category there. So uh, some overlap with that. Oh, there's some some other cool ones. Uh, Just her sociability. She doesn't really want to have friends, Mm -hmm. at least in the the traditional sense. Now, she does connect with Eugene. Mm -hmm. He's like the only character that she really seems to want to have a friendship with because there's no pressure there. And it's like, he's there when she needs him and, and he's open, but yeah. And I guess they have like similar styles and similar ways of interacting. So it kind of fits with her 
what she prefers in a friend. Exactly. Like they, they communicate so well together. Mm. They speak through metaphors, um, which is another autistic trait can be is like making metaphors out of everything, which I like to do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and there there's, she doesn't have much overt expression of emotion. So there's just like that blank face mm-hmm. and it's like, this is happy. This is sad. This is angry. Um, and we see her emotions come out more in her actions. Mm-hmm. How does she take action with something? Yeah. There's, there's so many really great elements that it's like, oh, that's autism. That's autism. That's autism. Uh, it's fun to, to point them all out. Did, did you have any that you wanted to, what were your favorites? I guess particularly like her interests were very specific and quite quite unique, um, like taxidermy and ch- her cello as well, which, um, and she's very, very good at those interests as well. Um, so I guess, you know, if you were a, a pediatrician and you were diagnosing, you might c- consider that a restricted interest. I don't like that term, but I think it's just nope. very specific Not interest. <laughs> and also like her strong sense of justice. Like I know yes. for a lot of people with autism, that's a really big factor. So Despite everyone telling her to leave it alone, she is completely fixated on solving the the mystery and figuring out who the Nevermore monster is. That's such a good one to point out. I, I had missed that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like, you know, knowing I'm coming at it from someone who works with people on the spectrum, but I am not myself on the spectrum. So, you know, please let me know if, if there's something that you don't resonate with. But, yeah, I think... She's, she can be quite hyper fixated, I guess, on, on things. And it's to everyone's uh, benefit as well because she does solve the mystery, uh, exactly, which is a big yeah. strength for her. I guess also I, I love how she says, um, I, it's not my fault I can't interpret your emotional Morse code. A good line. Yeah. So I guess, you know, that she's quite logical and rational and she – she doesn't want all the fluff. Like she just wants to know what's going on mm-hmm. and she will direct. also be very direct with her communication as well. And yeah. that can be interpreted as mean or, or not respectful, but it's, it just makes sense for her. Yeah. One very interesting thing that they did, which I loved was, uh, so she's very direct and tends to be very clear in her communication. Mm. Now, she is trying to solve a mystery, so she's not always forthcoming with what she knows. But when it came to the love interest with Tyler, my personal opinion was the weakest Mm. part of the show. (laughs) I agree. But the one element that I liked about it was that he felt and communicated to her that he wasn't getting clear communication. Mm -hmm. It was brilliant because she didn't know how she felt. Yes. And the audience didn't really know how she felt either. And so that that ties into the alexithymia of not really knowing what emotions we're feeling, not having a hard time connecting to it, which can be situational or to specific types of emotions. So I thought that was really well played uh, is the one thing that I liked about the romantic <laughs> <laughs> element. Yeah, that that's a really good point her, so. um, because she's unsure of what that emotion is. She can't actually communicate directly what, what is going on for her. She ends up with quite a few friends at the end of the series, but her um, 
her lack of sort of interest or care in following the group norms, um, like she will stand up to mm-hmm. authority, doesn't care that there's like a hierarchy, it's not important, it, it doesn't impact how she interacts with that person. She ends up sort of getting that reputation as a misfit when for her it just doesn't make, it, it's more logical to just be, just treat everybody equally, I guess. One thing that I really loved that they did in terms of the friendships was that she saw friendship differently than those around her where it's, oh, you're there Mm -hmm. for each other. And when she was asking for help, which she found hard Mm -hmm. to do, her friends felt used. And so they really played up some of the miscommunications of intention because of how she sees social interaction differently Mm -hmm. than those around her. And I thought that was just really well done. I think a good example of that too is how like on her birthday, they tried to like give her a surprise, like they they sort of tried to make it within her interests, but it was still something she did not want. So that even though they're trying to be inclusive of her preferred interests and activities, they still sort of try to impose what they find fun onto her and her response to that is like, no, and they, you know, get hurt by that as well. So it's sort of trying to, yeah, sort of fit in with what other people's expectations are and what her expectations are as well. But, yeah, there's a lot there, obviously. Yeah, so much good stuff. I think also, like, she doesn't like change too much, but, um, like, going to Nevermore, I mean, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed going to Nevermore either, to be honest, but, yeah, I think she copes actually quite well with the change um but there is just that mm-hmm. things have to sort of be the way they are for her and i think she copes well with the change because something that interested her caught her attention and gave her a focus and a drive whereas if the murders weren't happening i think she would have really struggled yeah that's a really good point yay murder <laughs> Woohoo! so so the school's like what kind of accommodations do you need to to feel like you can fit in here. Oh, I just need a few murders. We might move on to looking at schizoid personality disorder because we've mentioned it a few times. I have not treated or diagnosed anyone with schizoid PD or have any experience of how it presents. So I just want to, with that caveat, explain that we are sort of just talking at it from having done a little bit of research about it. It's not a super common disorder and it's very difficult to diagnose, distinguish it from other diagnoses such as autism spectrum disorder, which it can overlap with. So, yeah, and it's usually not, it wouldn't be just a psychologist that diagnoses it. Usually it would be a psychiatrist as well. But it's essentially considered to be a schizophrenia-like personality disorder. So I'm just going to go through the diagnostic criteria so we can sort of just explain what we're talking about and then we might sort of say, does she sort of fit in with that? So I guess there's two major criteria. So firstly, detachment from social relationships with a restricted range of expression of emotions when they're in interpersonal settings. Uh, It begins in early adulthood and presents in a variety of contexts and it's demonstrable by four of the following. So firstly, neither desires nor enjoys close relationships, chooses solitary activities, none or little interest in having sexual experiences, takes pleasure in a few activities, 
lacks close friends or confidants, appears indifferent to praise or criticism, and shows emotional coldness, detachment, or flattened affectivity. And also the second criteria is that it's not attributable to any other medical condition or occur in the setting of schizophrenia. It says manic depression, that's an old term. Um, autism spectrum disorder or other affective disorder with psychotic features, given though that more commonly people are being diagnosed with, like you just said, um, autism and a personality disorder as well. So not sure how accurate that second criteria would be these days. But this is the DSMV, so that's the most recent diagnostic manual. Which should also be noted that's like 20 years behind. It's very uh, problematic. Uh, there's there's many issues with the DSM. Yes. Very yes. many issues. <laughs> so what I guess for you, what, what sort of sings out for you for Wednesday in terms of that criteria? Not being a medical professional and not knowing how specifically these apply and also mm -hmm. knowing how like my autism is compared to how the DSM describes it or mm -hmm. how it's generally thought of uh, in the medical field. I could say I could see how all of these could be applied to mm -hmm. to Wednesday with some caveats, you know, like to have some closeness with some people like mm. you know she fights with her parents but she also seems to have some closeness with her parents mm. she has some closeness with eugene it could potentially be interpreted that that closeness is for her own gain and she's not really trying to be close friends mm. um so th there's just like so many layers to that and not knowing enough about schizoid myself yeah i could see from a layman's point of view of like oh yeah this this could fit or it may not at all yeah <laughs> i think the the dsm can be quite black and white and it really depends yeah. on how it's interpreted as well you know you really want someone who's experienced with this kind of disorder to be making that call but i think in terms of closeness like the fact that she takes revenge on people who are bullying pugsley says to me that she's very close like whether she expresses that she has quite a strong attachment to pugsley his her brother and at the same time, she says that she's the only one that can bully him. So, that's true. You know, what, what <laughs> does that relation look like? Is, is Does she have that relationship for her own self-gain? Or is she just a normal sister? <laughs> Loves to or bully her brother. a normal sister of like, yeah. And I really loved her relationship with her mom. Like there's some really, there's some complexity there, which is very typical of a mother-daughter relationship where her mum sort of wants to see Wednesday in the similar sort of trajectory to her life where, you know, I had a great time at Nevermore and, you know, this is what I want for you Wednesday. And then her trying to like, like a lot of daughters or, you know, kids do trying to sort of rebel and ha make her own way. And then having the same power as her mum around those um, visions as well. I think that like, if she didn't, have a closeness with her mother, there wouldn't be as much of a conflict, I guess, going on there of her trying to become her own person and her, her and her mum sort of struggling with that. So, yeah, I think there's there's ways you could interpret it, but I don't know. To me, seeing Wednesday, I don't think she doesn't desire or enjoy a close relationship. It's just done in a different way to what we usually see from the neurotypical. Yeah. Also things like, I guess we don't know, like in terms of her interest in having sexual experiences, like she kind of, she's put off by her parents getting all affectionate, but also like 
I'm still put off by my parents being affectionate <laughs> um, because it's gross. You know, they're her parents. She doesn't want to see that. So I don't know if we could make the call that she's not interested in um, sexual experiences. Yeah, we don't. That is still coded. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, her sexuality is not yet clear, probably even to her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which I think we'll, we'll talk about soon. Like things like taking pleasure in fewer activities. I think she actually quite, takes quite a lot of pleasure in the things that she, we see her do, like cello, archery, hurting people. <laughs> 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 and, you know, um, figuring out a mystery and things like that. Like I think, yeah, I, th- I feel like it's more her her affect that probably rings the most true in terms of schizoid personality disorder but it definitely there's definitely some parallels there any other thoughts from yourself it's it's an interesting thought experiment uh and for those people who have schizoid or maybe it's our schizoid i don't know the proper phrasing that that people prefer in that uh community but if they resonate with it then i'm all the happier yeah 100 percent. like i guess it's about being represented and seen in a way that's positive and has yes. more accuracies rather than stigmas and tropes. So if that's helpful for people, then that's that's fantastic. So, But yeah, if anyone has any comments or thinks that th- there's other evidence there, please let us know. The other thing that I do want to say, because we've been talking about like, what if the writers are listening in and what would they do? If they choose to canonize any of these conditions, neurovariances, then they should hire people from those communities to be in the writer's room as writers. Absolutely. I think that's it's a big responsibility to take, and I think that's why a lot of films and TV shows choose not to use the diagnostic term to yeah to canonize someone because there's a there's responsibility attached with that of okay, well this is what you're setting out to do, or you've got to do it right um so i don't think they have any of those qualms (laughs) (laughs) obviously not Um, because all the shows that they do canonize are so terrible and there's not people from the community in the writer's room or in any decision making (laughs) but i guess they're, they're open to more feedback and flack if they do choose to to use the words but um we're constantly banging on about hire disabled actors, um, consultants, not just consultants, to actually have people on your set that um, work in that space uh, on the film with the lived experience. It makes a huge difference. You can tell. You can tell. Yeah, there's uh, the phrase that we use in so many marginalized communities as we talk about advocacy is nothing about us without us. Mm -hmm. And I've added to that phrase nothing without us nothing nothing without us actually i i saw a meme uh shared a couple weeks ago that crossed out about us and just said nothing without us which that was brilliant yeah yeah but uh i like to add at the end in charge so nothing Mm -hmm. about us without us in charge so if it's about us we need to have veto power in the creative process. Yes. Otherwise, you're just ticking a checkbox. 100%, yeah. I feel like there's so many movies and shows that that consult with somebody or like they just have like one actor 
that represents that community and they're like yeah we've done it and it's like but yeah but your representation was shit like it didn't do anything um so that's yeah a really good message have us in charge so on that note i think we if you're happy to move on to any sort of tropes or stereotypes in the film i'd like to start with um the the romantic side of things too um what were your thoughts on the I guess the the, yeah obviously that wasn't your favorite part the romantic storylines um so overarching like the romance with Tyler seemed to be forced by the writers Mm -hmm. yeah antithetical to her character and her motivations um Mm -hmm. if she were to have a romance I would love for there to have been a little more complexity and diversity there mm-hmm. where so, so many people who are autistic and again, we're, we're looking at this as if she is autistic. Um, we have much higher percentages in our community of LGBTQIA plus. Mm-hmm. And so to have a binary uh, relationship between boy, girl you know, maybe she's non-binary or something like that, but but none of that's explored. None of that's yep. touched on. None of that's uh, mentioned as a possibility. Mm-hmm. And it would, at the very least, have been nice to have some hints of bisexuality or mm-hmm. asexuality mm-hmm. or something that was outside of the quote-unquote norm because that's the theme of the show. So it, <laughs> yeah. it, it felt so disingenuous to have this very standard relationship. It felt a bit forced to me. Yeah. Given everything else, like you just said. Do you think that she was, in, like it looked like she was initially going to be coded as maybe a aromantic or asexual? Yeah, um, I, I really got that impression and there's some scenes that communicate that. And so one interpretation that, that helps me enjoy the watching of the show a little more is that maybe from the beginning, she never really had intentions of a romantic relationship, but she saw Tyler as a missing part of her puzzle for the mystery Mm -hmm. that she was trying to solve. And so he was getting mixed messages because she was never interested (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then she chose to go along with it because he kept pursuing her in order for her to solve the mystery. Yeah. So if that was the case, I would have loved for that to have been made clear at the end because Mm -hmm. it would kind of be, they could do it in season two Mm -hmm. where they kind of go back and go like, yeah, I never was interested in him. It would have been nicer to have that catharsis at the end of the first season of just mm. like do you think that yeah. audiences might find that like too hard a truth to to accept like that she was really it was just an advantageous thing for her well there is a lot of percentage of people around the world who have a very hard time accepting lgbtqia plus existence so yes that there would be audience true. that would yeah. have that be too big of a pill to swallow it kind of felt like to create this you know very big budget film it's like but there's got to be a love story in there somewhere yeah. quick throw it in there um, yeah it give the audiences feel, what they want I, and i wonder how it, it 
evolved if there was like studio pressure to put it in there and and there and this is just conjecture but like maybe the writers or the studio thought that there's so much quote unquote abnormal in the show they needed to put put some touch point of quote unquote normalcy mm. for general audiences to go oh i relate with that because it's a boy and a girl that like each other and you know romantic tension which i yeah. love watching romantic tension there wasn't romantic tension no, i was just gonna <laughs> say in other things <laughs> yeah yeah mm. so that that's something that they can definitely improve on in future seasons and expand some of the representation there. yeah because it kind of also it was almost a metaphor for if Wednesday is indeed autistic she's still kind of being made to fit into the environment she's in and even though the environment itself is for outcasts like she still doesn't quite fit into that environment right. and then forcing a love story in her is kind of still making her adjust for society which is not inclusivity so the fact that like a love story is kind of foisted upon this show is also kind of a symbol of having that happen to Wednesday. Yes. And what you just said was one of the things that so resonated with me as an autistic person is she doesn't even fit in with the outcasts mm. as mm. an autistic person who can have trouble with interactions and social assumptions, like even within the disability community. I experience ableism to my autism mm -hmm. because I do things differently. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, I'm the outcast among the outcasts. <laughs> and I know a lot of different people in different parts of different areas of the disability community feel that too in different ways. And so that's, that's something that we as the disability community need to continue to address our own ableism. I have my own ableism that I continually working through. Yes. But that was that was just such a connection point for me watching the show. It's like, oh, yeah, the feeling of being the outcast among outcasts. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing for even the the neurotypical uh, community to community, the world to acknowledge, too, is just because someone has a disability doesn't mean they're going to be friends with other people with disabilities because there's layer upon layer and there's nuance upon nuance and everyone's a mm -hmm. unique person and we're not um, a monolith no 100 not <laughs> in terms of uh like tropes with autism because often you know we see a lot of movie tropes with uh disabled characters or coded disabled characters that are like you know they're the hero or they're the villain or their uh your love sorts them out and things like that i didn't think there were too many of those tropes in here um, not really many of the problematic tropes. Uh, there, there's a lot of subversion of tropes, mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. if she's autistic, that are are so nice to see. And I've noticed a trend that typically when authors accidentally write autistic characters, they are more authentic and more equitable representations when authors try to write autistic characters when they do try to write autistic characters, they typically write stereotypes and tropes. Mm -hmm. mm. I was thinking about this the other day, like a an allistic, which for those who aren't familiar with the term, that's somebody who's not autistic. Uh, if an allistic writer or director were to go, I want to have equitable disability representation in the 
show or movie or whatever that I'm making, what are they going to do? Okay, one, they're going to go find medical resources like the mm-hmm. DSM-5, which is really problematic mm-hmm. specifically for autism, but for a lot of things. Um, they're going to talk to medical professionals who have an ableist lens of autism. They're going to see other films and TV shows that have pr- been produced that represent autism. And which is a bad 99% idea. <laughs> 99% of them don't do it well. Mm-hmm. And they're probably going to do some Google searches. And in most autism Google searches, the first resource that pops up is Autism Speaks, mm-hmm. which is a hate group for autistics. They want to eradicate autism and they talk about it in all these negative ways. And they're, they're sort of, even, I don't think they've put it as part of their mission statement anymore, but they're, they're, point is to cure autism rather yes. than which is disgusting yeah. and so there's no validation of autism and there's just a lot of misinformation on their site and so when this is the stack of information something went wrong please try again okay that's Siri. very accurate Siri. Very accurate. <laughs> thank you for your interjection <laughs> when this is the stack of information that you come across something goes wrong in your representation Let's try that again <laughs> try again guys Siri, and, uh that's that's concerning i think siri does have a mind of her own that was wonderful um so yeah like i i don't necessarily fault People like you're trying to do representation. That's wonderful. And so I don't want to be too critical of people trying to do representation apart from did you hire people in charge of your production who Mm -hmm. are like this? And and there's been productions that they do hire consultants and they're consultants from Autism Speaks or they're ABA therapists who may also be autistic, but... Mm -hmm. It, it's like the oh, <laughs> you've got so it's just I see what you're trying really to do bad. there, but you did you've done it the wrong way, right? Um, and and you couldn't have known better because you're like oh well this is an autistic professional so, and there's a bunch of these people, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the the core of the autism community gets missed because there's like this layer of systemic ableism built in that you don't know that you have to filter through Mm -hmm. to get equitable representation. And that's why it's super important to have someone with autism in that decision-making role to actually go, well, this is actually the appropriate uh, foundation, resource, et cetera, to actually access to make your film more representative. And the, the second part of that common phrase of nothing about us without us in charge is more than one in a room, which I've changed to more than one in every room. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And so that way, if you do hire an ABA autistic therapist, well, then hire somebody else who has a different background. And then you don't have just one perspective from one person influencing the whole show. You have all of these different various autistic people in all the different departments helping to guide the production. Yes. Um, and that's true of all minority groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, that intersectionality is so super important as well. 100% agree. And I guess it, an important thing, I've noticed that quite a few uh, representations that have been quite good have been from creators 
creating a character or creating an experience that they relate to and then going on to go, oh, this character's autistic. Maybe I'm autistic or yes. ADHD. That, that's how I found out I was autistic. Ah, amazing. I think I, so, I think I did know this. But, yeah, tell us more about that. My first clue should have been that all growing up I've been friends with all the autistic kids. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've followed autistic creators and filmmakers. I'm friends with them. We've made films together. And I was writing a screenplay where I was like, okay, I want to explore the disability of anxiety disorders because that's part of, that's like a sub-diagnosis under my umbrella. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what better way to explore the uh, disability of anxiety than through a spy thriller? So I wanted to have one of the characters be autistic. And so I was doing research. And one of the uh, creators that I follow, they shared a, a resource, Embrace Autism. And if I, if I get the uh, web address right, I believe it's embrace-autism.com. You can mm -hmm. uh, double check me and put that in the show notes. And they have a series of verified self-assessment quizzes. And each of the... the okay. I found this on the web for days of verified self-assessment quizzes. <laughs> Thank Siri, you, we're Siri. chatting. <laughs> oh my gosh. Siri is really wanting to join the podcast. <laughs> She's very interested in what we're talking yeah, about. I am putting my volume all the way down now, Siri. Thank you. <laughs> so they have, I keep saying series. <laughs> That's what it is. So there is a series, Siri, of these quizzes. And each of the quizzes have rankings of like how much the community finds them to be accurate, uh, how easy were they to take, those kinds of things. So very helpful. Each of the quizzes has different strengths and weaknesses. The one that I took first, and I took it going like, I, I'm just going to take it as myself to learn what kind of questions are being asked. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to retake it as if I'm the autistic character. Mm -hmm. um, and then I took it myself and the results came back and it said, it is highly likely that you are autistic. We can't, pers we can't diagnose you, but you should probably get evaluated. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that, that's a high number. That's not like a maybe number. That's like a high number. And yeah. so, so the one that I took is the Aspie quiz, which mm -hmm. the title of it is out outdated. Um, it is an older quiz, but it's targeted to individuals who are high masking. Mm -hmm. So people who are missed by yeah. the more traditional tests. And mm -hmm. I also loved that quiz specifically because it gave a breakdown visual of the different quadrants mm. of how autism presents. So yeah. my sensory was very, very high. Mm -hmm. My uh, My social... I forget what it's called, but my ability to understand social cues was more on the neurotypical side, mm -hmm. though still had some autistic traits. So it, it gives you like a graph of like what your autism looks like, which is fantastic. Yeah. That's awesome. And then I started doing all the other quizzes. So I did the, the camouflaging quiz, which was off the charts. <laughs> um, and it just gave me a really great picture. And then I'm, I reread my screenplay and went, oh shit, 
my main character doesn't have anxiety they're autistic mm-hmm. because i had the their their anxiety manifesting as sensory issues and right, social yeah. issues because that's where i thought my issues were from was from my anxiety yeah so here i wrote an autistic character and didn't realize it and so yeah. now i'm in the process of doing what's called a page 1 rewrite where you rewrite the entire thing canonizing my mm-hmm. character and changing the dialogue so it's I'm autistic and and uh, currently I have it to where the audience knows that he's autistic from an early scene, but one of the spies that he's with throughout most of the film, he's hiding the fact that he's autistic because he's afraid. And so mm-hmm. that kind of points to the audience of what this person is experiencing because they know what's going on. So, And that's an important representation too of of having like a character that's trying that's having to mask their autism because yes. yeah. often like that's a, that's an element that we don't often see on our screens as well wow that's what a journey and once <laughs> once that's finished it'll be such a rich representation because it's literally from your own experience of being yeah going through that journey and being diagnosed that's amazing i'm i'm excited for it well, we digressed a little bit in a very important way, but um, going back to our, our structure, is there anything else there that you wanted to talk about? They did a very good job, probably because they were accidentally mm-hmm. writing an autistic character. <laughs> yeah. And like, she's not a she's not a hero or the villain. She does go on to sort of save the day, but everyone pitches in and she doesn't mm-hmm. have any kind of magic. Well, she has her visions, but there's no like super strength or... Her her autism isn't giving her her her, her exactly. superpower, and her neurovariants are two different Separate things, things. Yeah. that influence each other. But yeah, it's it's not like Daredevil. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I guess because she's a complex character, she's not a one note character. Yes. She's got nuance about her. So, so much nuance and depth. Yeah, which I it's love. Like, hey, good go- good job, guys. Well <laughs> So moving on to our last sort of question, whether it's a helpful depiction or a harmful depiction, from my perspective, it seems overall quite an affirming show for people who watch it and see themselves in it. They might see themselves in it and then see a lot of the discourse on TikTok, et cetera, on social media about how she's coded autistic and particularly people who haven't been diagnosed and may go, oh, okay, that sounds like me. Maybe I have autism or maybe I'm neurodivergent. Is there anything else that you think is helpful? I want to start with with a potential pitfall. So Mm -hmm. let's Let's say she becomes canonized. At the moment, it's equitable because there is no canonization. We're free to interpret and talk and discuss. And anybody who comes across the conversations can then like they're privy to the com- the discussion. Mm. And, they're and not they can kind of make their own. Right. They're not projecting stereotypes or anything on it. If she were to become canonized, something that would need to be handled is and, and my in my opinion the solution is also canonizing another character as autistic. Yes. Um because if she's canonized autistic, people could then assume that autistic people could be malicious, could do things like put piranhas in swimming pools to attack <laughs> people. And and that could be problematic. I think she's a lovable enough character that that wouldn't be 
too bad if they just canonized her you know it it, it wouldn't cause too much harm but i think there are very effective ways of canonizing her and addressing that uh to make it truly how would you write it (laughs) personally i would make eugene the beekeeper autistic as well i would talk I would have them have metaphorical conversations because they already do that um, mm. to help the audience understand. Uh, mm. Metaphor is such a, a great tool for uh, especially explaining things to neurotypical people. Um, you give them something that they're associating with so that they don't have their implicit biases applied to it. Mm-hmm. So one idea I had is, we can talk about how Eugene is the type of bee that lives in a colony and he needs friends and mm-hmm. he wants that socialization, but nobody wants to socialize with him, which is a very interesting comment on the show because everybody wants to socialize with Wednesday, mm. but she doesn't want she to. Doesn't want to socialize. Nobody wants to socialize with Eugene and he wants that. Mm-hmm. So, he can talk about how there's different bees. He's the social kind. And then there's ground bees that are solitary and they mm. don't live in a colony and, and they only rarely meet up with other bees and that kind of thing. And how, uh, so Eugene could have the observation of like, you're a loner bee and everybody's forcing you to live in a colony. Yeah. And so of course you're going around stinging everybody. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's you know? so beautiful. Yeah. I love that. So it, it can be so simple and so uh, such a beautiful analogy is that for us to like just understand where somebody's coming from mm. and empathize with them mm. at the same time. And, and then that also diffuses any kind of uh, stereotype because here we have two opposites next to each other and they're both autistic. autistic. Yeah. Oh, I I just want the writers to actually just hire you to create I would that love that. Because oh <laughs> it doesn't have to be like episode one to episode 10 plot point. It can just be something beautiful and simple like that. This that stuff isn't so hard. Meaningful. You just yeah. have to have the lived experience to be able to explain it because somebody who wasn't autistic could not have come up with that analogy. You have to understand autism and bees. <laughs> Which is perfect for the show in Eugene's character. Like it fits in perfectly well. Right, right. Mm. I was I was reading a few opinions on whether they thought that this would be a, is a helpful depiction for anyone who is neurodivergent. A couple of potential problems they had was that you know Wednesday's sort of she's pretty. She's she is a more socially acceptable side of someone with autism. You know, it would have been nice to see some of the less appealing, pretty signs of autism, such as mm-hmm. having having a meltdown. Like it would be yeah. nice. Like I think we see elements of her becoming overwhelmed, but not yeah. to the point that that can occur. So yeah, it would have been nice to see a little bit more of that. But again, it's coded; it's not canonized. Right. So I that's another one too that I would love to see in season two for her to have and and that goes into a series arc where each season, oftentimes the writers want to kind of up the ante on their last season. Now I'm Mm -hmm. the kind of person who's like, give me the same thing, just different. Don't keep increasing. I don't need bigger, (laughs) but 
like that's an easy way for them to increase the emotional stakes for this character on her multi-season arc is show her have these, I don't like to call them what they're usually called, but the, these emotional breakdowns, I don't like calling them meltdowns because it's infantilizing in my opinion, but it, it, I know a lot of people in the community use that. So that's, it's fine. I apologize. Um, oh, no, no. Everyone's got their I, own language, I think. Yeah, yeah that, that's me personally. And I know other mm. people, there's a lot of different opinions on it. So uh, I, in in my interactions, I use overload. So she becomes, mm-hmm. I would love to see her become overloaded mm. and have the, the emotional expulsion and, and behavior. Uh, and we see how that manifests for her character. Some of the, the problems that that can cause for both her and those around her, and then how that could be responded to yes. to give her accessibility and equity so that we, we are emulating to society, hey, when this happens, it's a part of it and it's it's okay. And this is how we yeah. move through yeah. it. That would be so good. And, and it could be quite good modeling for the neurotypical world of how you can support someone who is overloaded and help prevent that from happening too often because to me it's also like Wednesdays because particularly with girls like it's it's not as common for girls to be diagnosed autistic because they mask so well and she's someone who doesn't mask instead of some of the traditional ways no she does mask Mm, yes but but it looks different which is cool but I guess you know no one on the show in this universe is saying you, you seem autistic because she's just seen as, I guess, different and odd and quirky, which is yeah. commonly what happens to girls with autism. They're just seen as a bit quirky or it's sort of some of that manic pixie dream girl trope, I think, yeah. comes from coded autistic women. And this is kind of subverting it a little bit, but it's also not showing the complete full side. Yeah full spectrum of autism and one of the ways they could deal with showing an autistic overload is showing it in private where Mm. nobody knows that it happens Mm. because that's typically especially for autistic girls and women that's how it happens yeah like if you have a family if you have a husband or well as a spouse you know i'm speaking specifically in this case for uh like her character because she yeah (laughs) uh so let me start that over (laughs) (laughs) if someone has a spouse the spouse or their kids or whoever will see the uh the overload but she would very likely have these where nobody knows about it and maybe Mm. potentially enid comes in and that could be Mm. a great point of connection and, and we could have some interaction there about how women have these experiences in private and and autistic people in all have these experiences in private but men and boys may have them more publicly and Mm. they're they're more in the public awareness yeah and when a girl or a woman has them it may also be interpreted differently when it's in public too like oh maybe she's being a karen or maybe she's mm-hmm. just being a, a, a f- she's freaking out and whatever, you know, yeah. it's judged, um, which men and boys are judged for these as well. But it's a different, it's different. It's perceived yeah. 
and reacted to differently. And their behaviors are accepted differently yes. between men and women because because society. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that would be a really interesting way to to portray that. One of the things I read that people had some questions about is that Wednesday's quite beloved as a character since this show came out. The fact that she's so beloved is great, but it could also be the people who often bully neurodivergent people who or who other neurodivergent people for being someone like Wednesday also loves the character. So, which is a good point and I don't know, I mean, if you're going to resonate with lots of people, that's bound to happen, but I guess it would be good to keep that in mind in season two and maybe... I guess, make it a little bit like, I guess, deal with that in some way. And I think that is so typical too. typical (laughs) Um, (laughs) that a lot of people, because you get the, the behind the scenes, look into this character's experience, you empathize with them. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of times if bullies were to see the behind the scenes experience of the people that they bully, mm. it would be a very life changing experience and a behavior changing experience. Yes. And so some of that I think is just human nature that we're, we're peeking behind the curtain and we're connecting with what this character wants and what's in the way of what they want and the unfairness that they have to go through. And those are three key ingredients to creating a character that people really connect and empathize with, especially Mm -hmm. unfairness. Um, And so when you're a bully and you see somebody, you're experiencing your own unfairness and you're taking it out on somebody else and you're not experiencing with them Mm -hmm. their struggles and their desires. So... I think just more and more of this kind of representation, especially hooking them in with the first season and then canonizing them later can really open some eyes as well and piss a few people off that need Mm -hmm. to be pissed off. Why do you have to be so woke? Well, you needed woken up. Get with the program. We need some more wokeness, thanks. And it's not, uh, I don't even like that term woke. It's just like being realistic of what the world is like and the different variances of, of people. Well, and I want to point out that the term woke has been hijacked by the right yes, wing. Yes, that's absolutely right. I don't know if it's the right wing everywhere, if like in, in Europe it's still on the right or if they're on the left. I don't know. <laughs> in America, at least. They're on the right side of the wing here. Mm. But um, yeah, woke means that you are aware and care about social issues. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And and so, yeah, the, I, I love the term and I'm trying to help use it in the way that it's supposed to be it was used. intended, yeah. So that it doesn't get more uh, co-opted. But yeah, like, wake up, people. <laughs> Anything else that you want to mention that makes this depiction helpful or harmful? Oh, I I am hopeful and excited for season two 
wherever they decide to go with it. Mm. Um, I think that season one has been great. And I'm curious to see if the writers became aware of all of the discussions like what Mm. we're having now and will help that inform their season two. And I think that even if it doesn't, we have had this opportunity created by this show to have these conversations, which has opened up uh, experiences of so many people watching these social media videos, podcasts, all of these things where they're like, oh, and gaining understanding and gaining acceptance of people with different neurovariances. And and yeah, it, it's opening conversations and opening people's eyes. And I love that. And I just want yeah. to see that continue. And I think, like you said in your TikTok, the I guess the the answer is more representation, more different variants of representation in the same piece of media. Going back to your amazing quote, nothing about us without us in charge. Exactly. Yeah. That, and that is the key. I eventually would love to see the entertainment industry and society as as a whole get to the point where we can all, anybody who wants to do disability representation feels comfortable doing it. Mm. And on the road to get there, we're going to have people who aren't disabled making content, representing disabled people and making mistakes. Mm. And I, I oftentimes get frustrated by some of the mistakes because there is real harm done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, I try to mediate my response to not water it down, to be clear and precise, but to not be overly, I, I'm not casting aspersions on character. I'm not attacking people. I'm saying, mm. hey, this thing resulted in this. Let's work to improve this in the future so that it becomes a learning experience and they become an ally. Yeah. And we're not just like throwing rotten tomatoes. Yeah. Yeah. It's sometimes hard not to see it from that perspective because it can be quite so hurtful, some of those mistakes. But I think Eric Garcia, who was on the podcast, sort of mentioned this because not being autistic or not being disabled doesn't mean you can't touch these stories but you need to learn how to make them representative and involve those people in it. So we don't want to put people off it altogether and have the whitewashed Hollywood that was often the case. Exactly. This has been really, really great. I have loved talking about this with you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it as well. And I'm sure we could talk for another hour, but um, <laughs> I will yeah, wrap it up here. And do you want to plug your website, social media links, etc., so that everyone can sure. follow you? I would love to have everybody listening come see if my videos connect with you. I make a a bunch of different videos on different subjects, uh, mostly revolving around disability uh, and covering all sorts of different disability stuff. So if you want to check me out, the easiest way to do so is to go to my website. Very easy to remember, jeremyandrewdavis.com, all one word. And on there, I have some of the short films that I've made. I have some little teasers of the screenplays that I've written. And I have links to all of my different social medias, uh, which are all usually Jeremy Andrew Davis on the different platforms. Excellent. And they're fantastic. 
TikToks and reels, etc. Um, I really, the recent one you did around panic attacks, like really resonated with me as someone with an anxiety disorder. So yeah, there's lots in there for whether you identify someone with a disability or not, there's lots of stuff to relate to. Check it all out, everyone. And thank you so much for your time, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me. This has been absolutely wonderful. Can't wait to come back on and talk about another show. Oh, excellent. I'd love to have you again. This podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive, or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please check the episode notes on your podcast app.